0: Welcome to Remarkable Retail Podcast, Season 2, Episode 17. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm Steve Dennis. All right, Steve, we've got a solo episode today. I've got you all to myself. You know, we really haven't done one of these all season. You and I were talking enough, Mike, it feels we've reached a turning point in both the pandemic, which of course means a turning point in the retail industry from, you know, focused on the COVID era and getting through it and into what comes next. And I thought, you know, we both thought this would be a great opportunity to kind of take a pause and just you and I chat for an episode about um, lots of stuff that's going on and, and some thoughts for the future.
1: Yeah, I do feel like it's a good time. And uh, we we have quite a lot of news from at least, uh, you know, mostly from U.S. retailers in terms of earnings. So, yeah, I think it's a good good chance to dig in. But we will be back next week with an amazing, inspiring guest, Rob Smith, who's the CEO and founder of the Fluid Project and Get Fluid. Uh, he's a deeply experienced executive, worked at quite a few big retailers but now is off on his entrepreneurial path and it's a super interview both from a retail strategy perspective and we get to learn about his personal journey and how that all intersects with what he's doing professionally so you'll want to definitely check that out next week
0: yeah and we'll actually be wrapping up season two in in mid-june in a couple of weeks with a really great guest that'll give our listeners a big picture perspective matt shea president of the nrf so that'll that'll bring it all together and then uh, maybe next episode you and i can chat about how we're thinking about season three and what what uh what remarkable retail looks like next but let's let's jump right in we got a lot of stuff to cover and where you, you and i were talking off mike how do we frame up all the thoughts that we've been having and and news that's coming out and this this kind of this point this turning point right so you you know both canada the u.s uh, the UK, I've uh, got uh, the vaccination programs underway, and they're moving ahead. And you know, US, your your the CDC said take your mask off if you're fully vaccinated. That seems to have triggered lots of off masking and sales of mm-hmm. tooth whitener. I was reading, uh, <laughs> interestingly enough. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. You know, Q1 is always a noisy quarter anyway, and you know, so we're seeing some results come out of the big hitters. You know, what strikes me is, and and you as well is how and why do the analysts always get it so wrong? Like, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's what really struck me in reading through the earnings releases. I mean, I certainly have seen analysts get things wrong, but also get things right in the past, but it seemed like every earnings announcement I've read in the past two weeks, basically the story was how wrong or, you know, how great it was in one perspective that the retailer had just crushed the sales and earnings estimates. So, uh, but yeah, way, way off on a bunch of really big retailers that you would think would be pretty easy to understand. I, I mean, I have one theory, which is that particularly for the more physically anchored retailers that we just haven't seen such large swings Mm. in sales. I mean, it's not very often that you have a retailer report, you know, 40% increase or something like that, at least among the traditional retailers. And I think they probably underestimated the degree that last year, you know, was such uh, the quarter last year was such a debacle for non-essential retailers in terms of, you know, extra expenses, stores being closed, inventory liquidation, you know, so it's just very hard to anchor on that. And then you have, in some cases, as we'll probably get into some of these retailers with very big increases. And I think they're leveraging their fixed costs. Right. And so Mm -hmm. you can take a a decent size increase and, and turn that into a massive profit improvement. So I I think they didn't appreciate those dynamics, but it's not, we don't often see such wild fluctuations.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's also, I think, nested in a bit of the whole narrative around The false narrative around the the retail apocalypse. It's like, what do you mean they're not dead yet? You know, it's kind of like that Monty Python skit, right? Um, You know, of course they're not dead yet. You got that wrong to begin with. And stores still matter. And get your head around that. So it's, I guess it's kind of hard sometimes to sort through all the news. I mean, the other thing is the comp story and the comps for 2021 are just going to be so strange, right? Because on the other side, you've got a lot of retailers who are trying to comp off a mass run for toilet paper or bread makers. And, you know, the numbers are very distorted. I mean, if you think back this time of the year and a little earlier, uh, I know here in Canada there was, you know, there was was stockouts on shelves. There was the first time Canadian consumers probably in most of our lifetimes had seen, you know, empty shelves. It wasn't quite panic, but it was like, oh, this is this. And and so people started loading up and it distorts everything one way, shape. I I don't know how retailers are going to make sense of this year Maybe the the best approach is just to index against 2019. I mean, how do you make sense of, you know, comping year-over-year numbers against such an odd year, right, 2020?
1: Yeah, I certainly believe it's more relevant to compare to 2019 because of just all the distortions. Uh, You know, this quarter in particular also, and I know this varies a little bit by market, but, you know, most of the quarters are the quarters ending in April. So it's February, Mm -hmm. March, April, and as I'm sure people will recall, you know, that March was really when uh, in most places COVID was really starting to take hold. So, yeah. you know, you kind of had the panic buying stock up stuff going on in February, maybe the early part yeah. of March, then you had stores closed if they were not essential. So if you were in the apparel business or whatever, if you were in the grocery business, yeah. it was on fire because people weren't eating out. And then, yeah. you know, if you're in the home business, then people, in pet business, you know, then people started to, you know, so, so you just have this reallocation of spending that, uh, in some cases was driven by store closings. In other cases, it was driven by just how people were spending money differently given work from home and all this other stuff. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to make sense of it though. I think as we we go forward, it will, it will get easier. We just have to anchor, I think on the right comparisons.
0: I mean, my goodness, the U S consumer was like a Timex watch, you know, took a beating and kept on kept on ticking, man, because the, the, you know, a little bit of financial incentive for sure, some stimulus incentive, but, you know, the retail numbers were just blockbuster. And and I guess, you know, but how many outdoor sets of couches can you buy and barbecues? Well, in my case, I buy a lot, but, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you're, you're an outlier. I mean, certainly in the U.S. and a few other markets,
1: there's definitely spending that's being buoyed by, by the stimulus, right? I mean, it's, and a lot of the retailers reference that.
0: Particularly the value ends of the segment, right? Because if you're, you know, if you're just making ends meet week to week, that money goes directly into spending, right? right? I yeah. mean, it may go into paying your rent, but it also, you know, it doesn't sit around in an in investment vehicle, right? It gets spent. But, you know, you've also got,
1: um, again, I'm not, I'm not sure how well this applies to markets outside the U.S., but the home market, you know, the real estate market is just on fire the turnover of homes. So, you know, that tends to drive a lot of, a lot of spending people trading up to a bigger house, you know, you got to furnish it, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, You've got people investing in their homes if they're going to stay or maybe to put it up for sale. So there's a lot of very kind of home related spending. I saw a statistic somewhere that, uh, that something like 21% of the U S stimulus checks were spent on home related projects. Wow. To your point, mm. how much of that, like obviously if you're going to build a lot of houses, people are buying lumber, right? If you're moving into a new house and it's bigger, you got to buy, you know, another bed or, you know, different furniture or whatever, but some of those things are very much one-time purchases. Yeah. But how long will that, you know, we get past the stimulus perhaps in the next month or two. So, still probably part of the second quarter, but not as important. But then how much of this momentum keeps going uh, because of some of these underlying trends or just the, you know, like in the apparel category, well, you know, if you're starting to go back to work more, you're starting to yeah. go out to dinner or go to a show, you know, all those kinds of things that tend to drive apparel accessory type purchases. I mean, that's a whole new dynamic that's coming back as, as markets open. So it's just a lot of moving, moving pieces. I certainly think in general is very positive for retail. Uh, but certainly, as you point out, I mean, in some cases, you still have lots of people that are struggling to make ends meet, even pre-COVID, you know, but unemployment tends to still be disproportionately affecting lower income people. So
0: what'll be interesting to see my expectation is that spending in retail will start to decelerate as the you know, as we get our lives back to normal, we start doing all the things we used to do. We start to travel and we start to spend our money that way and uh, we start to go out to restaurants. And I don't know if you've seen it, the, the car sales in America are so strange. You've got people paying over MRSP on the I lot. See for right. cars so that tells us some something really interesting is going on and that you know i wonder anyway we might be down a rabbit hole on that one but you know are people still afraid to get on mass transit are people going to travel for the summer you know in intercountry, which i think a lot is a lot happening in most countries mm-hmm. right a lot of tourism is uh, you know this is a good if last year was a good time to be a, a plexiglass salesperson this year's a great time to own an RV rental business, right? What a great way to yeah. go. see see your country. We have a great audience from all points of contact from around the world not just uh, the u s Canada but around the world I mean you look I was talking to Oliver banks yesterday from uh, from the u k and you know they're they're coming out of it well but there's a few bumps in the road with some variants. and what they're looking carefully they were already ahead of in many ways that they're certainly ahead of Canada I think they are at or even ahead of. In terms of grocery e-commerce, was actually more advanced in the UK than it was in the states seven eight percent and and so in some ways they're you know they're interesting and they're they're trying to make sense of it their high streets really got decimated even pre COVID were getting decimated so they're they're trying to make sense of of that Australia is becoming you know becoming the hermit country where they're not even allowed people in or out until twenty twenty mid twenty twenty two and and what do you make of China I mean China had this little speed bump really. Uh, crushed covid you know it crushed them for sure but then they 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 you know they crushed it put it to an end and it really didn't slow down their economy and and of course the demand for their manufacturing has just been you know bananas right i mean container shortages and you know we've never seen container prices and traffic like we're seeing today this just one thing leads to another right yeah well i think there's a whole dynamic around i mean obviously we're going to see
1: different markets come back at, at different rates, um, you know either because of shutdowns or pace of vaccinations, uh, those kinds of things, uh, one of the things I think is interesting, maybe just even going back quickly to what you were saying about cars is you know, I think from a consumer demand standpoint, maybe there's a little bit of you know I want to treat myself because <laughs> it 's been yeah. tough, so yeah. maybe I buy a nicer car or I buy a car a year or two earlier than I might have otherwise, and i 'm sure that that plays out in other things as well. But the supply side is is really interesting uh you know there's this big chip shortage, so mm-hmm. I know I have a client that's in the automotive industry, and we were saying or they were saying to me that they just they just can't make the cars so it's a little unclear how mm-hmm. strong the consumer demand is fundamentally, but certainly there's a supply shock and mm-hmm. as we've seen, you know the suez canal thing i mean there's there's a bunch yeah. of stuff nice. that um is, is making it difficult in some cases for the, the the supply to meet the demand, right? And then you've got China sucking up a lot of properties uh, and raw materials. Oof. So that's putting yeah. price pressure on. So yeah. obviously there's a, a bunch of concern. I mean, aside from whether or not you can get the product, period, there's also concern about input prices, whether we're talking about the cost of materials, mm. but also labor too. So I think yeah. there's a lot to be revealed in terms of, of input costs as we get into the second half of the year, because even if the consumer's feeling pretty good, I mean, there's definitely a point at which, you know, it's basic economics, right? Prices go up, tends to tamp down demand to a degree. So I think again, you know, (laughs) kind of beat, beat a dead horse here. You just got this really noisy quarter because it's sort of half shut down, half not. Then we start to get into this, the second quarter where it's a little bit, easier to do the the comparison but there's still just mm. so many moving pieces
0: well and i think uh, if you're familiar with it we start talking about financial analysts in the financial sector they call when a stock kind of goes up but really has no fundamentals they call it a dead cat bounce and by the right. way i love cats so nobody send me anything hate mail to cats i love <laughs> cats but you know basically that the the theory is if i put it in the context of retail i think people are just going to rush into stores, right? Because it's just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I certainly is going to be the case here and in in countries where it's been, you know, really clamped down. It's like, oh, I want to go back to the store, some pent-up demand, some pent-up sure. demand to be just normal again uh, and go to a store. And then that's when it's getting interesting, right? So I, I'm not sure what lessons we'll be able to learn for the next quarter or two. Holiday will be really interesting because things will be pretty normalized, I think, by the time we get to a, a normal holiday and will you know will customers I, I was talking about this um with someone yesterday you know there is a this forgiveness around from consumers around retailers who who didn't get it quite perfect but were nimble um and this is a theme we've covered many times is that forgiveness go away and it's like you know i rush back to the stores i've missed them so much and then they go like oh yeah i forgot this kind of sucks sometimes i don't know. i'm not i'm getting back into that store right like and you yeah. see that in in some of these results and I, i'm not sure what sense we're going to be, be able to make of it over the next quarter or two, but I think it's going to take a bit of time to sort itself out, eh? Most likely, most likely. I, I mean, I, I, I definitely get a sense. You know, I'm
1: here in Dallas, which has been more open than than certainly many parts of the world, but hmm. many parts of the United States. But I think even even given that now that we're opening up more, I think there's a real sense of excitement around. Like I, I'm on this board, and uh, we've. Done virtual meetings for 15 months, and in a couple of weeks we're going to do our first in-person meeting. And you can just tell me, mm-hmm. like, oh my god, like we're going to be all like together. You going like, to
0: shake hands? You going to shake hands?
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the the protocols yeah. are. But but I think you know there's just this like overlying excitement to go out yeah. to dinner or a movie or whatever. Uh, but I think to your point, like the not the well, it's not newness of it, but just kind of getting back into it will will carry things for a while because it's more the, the energy around it as opposed to the, what am I really trying to accomplish? But, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but I, but I it definitely feels to me like, yeah, as we get the back part of the year, we'll, we'll be a little bit more back to kind of what is familiar to us. But uh, you know, this open question of, you know, how much work from home persists, because that yep. obviously we've talked about this a bunch of times, but yeah. you know, that, that has impact on clothing that has impact on restaurants. That has I think
0: that's one of the most interesting I think that's one of the most interesting and potentially actual real changes that covid brings is you know have have we changed the culture enough because I, I see the mistake that some businesses make they basically take what they used to do before and just move it onto zoom and it's just burning people out yeah because you see you see the numbers across north america around the world people are working more hours they're feeling more stressed and it's it's a little hard so is there This we often hear this hybrid approach, right? Where you can be in the office a couple of days, and there's some pretty compelling economics around the hybrid approach. Really, you know, you don't have to invest in as big as offices, and people they can't live wherever they want, though. They're expected to be in the office, so that's that's you know, I think people got a bit ahead of themselves, perhaps. And, um, you know, I'm never going back to the office and then, oh yeah, we want you in there two days a week and you live a plane right away. Maybe. You know, sure. So well, I think you have
1: to pick out, you know, you have to kind of unpack overused term, but I think you have to unpack mm-hmm. what are like the really fundamental sh- strong reasons for behaviors to persist. And yeah. certainly to your point, there's a lot of economic savings to downsizing your office, saving commuting costs. the just emotional toll. Yeah. But at the same time, whether we're talking about the office or we're talking about shopping in a store, we're social animals. You know, people like to be with other people. People like to be in the same place, enjoying an experience together. You know, it's just not the same watching a YouTube video of your favorite band of going to the concert, right? That doesn't mean there won't be some permanent shifts. Uh, But I think there is a little bit of an underestimation of, you know, how purely digital or virtual, Things can be, but, but we'll see, you know, have this is, you know, my, my unprecedented use of unprecedented, right? I mean, like that's <laughs> the, what we've been saying. And so I, I think we can glean some things from, from our collective experience and just our intuition about it, but we don't have a lot of good frames of reference yeah. for, for this time. So
0: certainly really, mm-hmm. would be pretty, pretty dynamic. There's a Canadian joke about our constitution. There's a clause in it called the "notwithstanding" clause, which is basically like an out clause of everything. And the 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 phrase is uh, "notwithstanding the notwithstanding clause." Like, (laughs) just trying to figure out what's going to happen. Now, we we're not going to do remarkable or forgettable this episode, but we should. We've been circling around it. We should probably touch for a couple of minutes on the on these blockbuster kind of results that came out: Macy's, Coles. Uh, yeah. Walmart and Target, because they, again, we're not, we're not really a breaking news podcast, but I, I, the way you and I see these things is they kind of are, the news is a launching point to a more interesting discussion around strategy and, and, and what's happening. So Macy's profit surprise, like what's, you know, depart, you, you actually said earlier, you know, ironically, department stores are the one thing left standing sometimes in cities because they're, they're a you know, they're the one shop stop and they've got some financial wherewithal to, to survive, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, Many thought, well, okay, that's it, you know, your usual cast of characters they'll never last through this. They'll never make it. But actually, they, you know, they actually have made it and and, and haven't done too bad. Like, look at the Macy's and Kohl's results.
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I absolutely believe that the department store sector, and, you know, there's always a little bit of question of, well, you know, is Target a department store, is Kohl's a department store, but but certainly the, the kind of traditional mall-based department store, that, that business has been contracting for 20 plus years. And I think it will continue to contract, but in Macy's case, they're they're not literally the last man standing, mm-hmm. but they are the you know the the cream of the crap, as uh, somebody used to say, <laughs> uh, who worked for me. Uh, not the most elegant description, but uh, you know they were it's
0: memorable though. That's a very yes, memorable description. Yeah.
1: Uh, but them. but they were uh, you know very much hit both by store closings last quarter. And by people not investing in going out, kind of apparel, stuff, right? which is a, a lot, lot of, of apparel, what they yeah. sell. So to have a big swing is not surprising. And as we were talking about earlier, I, th- earlier mm-hmm. I think you know the, the profit comparison is, is kind of a, you know it was so terrible a year ago that to have eked out a profit uh, with all the lockdown on expenses mm-hmm. and tight inventory and all that kind of good stuff is not uh, surprising. They are talking about adding some uh, new product lines. Small Um, store strategy, you know, well, yeah, the small store strategy is probably a whole separate episode. But, um, you know, the idea of opening off price, you know, 15 years after off price became a thing. So the whole off price thing, I I just a little skeptical that that's going to be a game changer. And uh, we'll we'll see what happens with these market by Macy's stores. But the first two are here in Dallas and uh, Mm. very uninspiring. And they managed to create a very kind of boutique feel. Uh, in terms of the uh, assortment and the design, which I think is actually quite good, and then you buy this really expensive item and they put it in a Macy's plastic bag, mm-hmm. and the promotional signs are all the same ones they use in the department store. So that's just ridiculous. Like an <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> error. So that's certainly yeah, fixable. An own um, an own goal, as we would say in the yeah world. yeah, and and they're they're uh, you know they should go take a look at Nordstrom Local in terms of how to do the the omni-channel fulfillment stuff. So um, yeah. I think there's just a lot of problems with that. But, you know, it's two stores. They're going to open some more. They can, they can fix that. They'll out. figure I it out. Yeah. But, but, you know, when you think about the size of Macy's, uh, you know, how much volume could these stores do? Uh, and, you know, it's it's going to be a long time before, you know, this is even a, you know, even if it works, it's going to be a long time for it's even a couple hundred million dollar business, which is yeah. you know, almost a rounding error at Macy's, unless they keep shrinking, in which case, know that's one way to get the percentage up. But, um, you know, when then we talk about Kohl's, which I think is kind of the most, Direct solid competitor, yeah. I mean, they did pretty well, but again, they're comparing sales were up seventy percent, but you know, to a, against a really small base. So their yeah. sales, you know, you were talking earlier about comparisons to uh, twenty nineteen. So so Macy's sales, I believe, were ten percent below twenty nineteen. Kohl's sales were five percent below twenty nineteen. So they're mm-hmm. they're not even back to even. So that, I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing to pay more attention to. And Kohl's also. Uh, they 've been talking about getting a lot of returns traffic because uh, they accept yeah. amazon returns and that 's that 's going pretty well but i 'm mm. kind of like well if that 's the thing that 's driving a lot of incremental traffic, then a lot of the rest of your business must be down pretty significantly, which yeah. doesn 't give me great comfort so so their forecast um, is that they won 't get back to two thousand and nineteen uh, and they have a pretty cautious Outlooks. I don't, as much as as there's a lot of news about the the great increases there, I mean, the reality is these guys are not even going to get back to 2019. It doesn't look like. Uh, We start to talk about Walmart and Target. Uh, You know, this is pretty interesting. I mean, Walmart was up uh, say only 6% digital up 37%, which is (laughs) below where they've been. Uh, But really great profit performance. But then you got Target that was up 23%. Mm. Um, digital up 50. But interestingly, that was that percentage increase, which is great. Um, A year ago in the quarter was up 151%. So I think we're seeing, uh, as I've mentioned a few times, the great acceleration start to move more towards the great moderation. But Mm. it's interesting to me that Target did so much better than Walmart. And I don't know if that's because Walmart is more reliant on grocery. And so a little bit of the shift to eating out maybe damp that down a little bit. I don't know, do you have any
0: any sense of that? You know, it seems that you know, from an innovation perspective, target I give the nod to target. I mean, Amazon certainly is no, you know, no amateur at, at innovation, uh, you know, certainly around particularly around the fundamentals and distribution and and those things. But target seems to have some momentum which they lost for a few years. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think they really invested well in in things like in store experience, which you know, on any given metric, any given survey, the Target in store experiences outperforms the Walmart in store experience. Like from a yeah, yeah, and, and they've been,
1: I think, doing a really good job with the the private brand expansion yeah. and some you know, not only making that a higher balance balance of sale, but some interesting partnerships with some digitally native brands and those those kinds of things. Yeah. So yeah, I think the I think the customer experience, the the, the product innovation. Um, is quite good. They also announced that they're going to be spending four billion dollars on stores, uh, mm. opening up forty stores and remodeling one hundred and fifty. So they they certainly don't seem to think that physical retail is dead. Well, one other thing I just want to point out quickly is mm. they shared a bunch of stats about their I don't know what you want to I, you know I'll call it, I guess their harmonized retail experience, but the intersection between digital and physical. So mm. what they call drive up, which is curbside, I believe. Uh, up 123% from a year ago. Now, I don't know how well deployed they were in the first quarter because, you know, curbside for a lot of people didn't even exist. Buy online pickup and store up 52%. And um, their delivery service shipped, so home delivery, up 86%. And um, I don't have the number in front of me, but they did quote a, a very large percentage of their e orders are fulfilled from store. So you know, it's just really interesting how they have uh, not only improved their e capabilities, mm. but how much the store is involved with supporting their, uh, you know, what we call e but, yeah. it, you know, it's really a blend.
0: And of course, they took a different approach for that by, by backward integrating and, and buying shipped as opposed to going with an Instacart. You know, I, I guess my my final thought on that is, uh, you know, Walmart seems to have really addressed themselves to take on Amazon like over the past couple of years. It's like we're, we feel like, you know, we're going to align everything to make sure that we can beat Amazon At whatever game we're going to play together, you know, even launching a kind of a a Prime like loyalty program, whereas Target kind of said we're just going to focus on the customer. We're going to go. They seem to kind of acknowledge Amazon, whereas Walmart really said that's our number one objective. We need to grab back that you know we're number one, and that's where all their investments and focus and mental energy was poured into. Um, So I I think it's just interesting. I mean, it's it's a good long game to play. As if you were Walmart, you you say what what's the risk to our business on a global scale? Probably more Amazon than it is Target, right? Targets in one country, Amazon's around the world. I believe that's generally right. The the thing I wonder
1: about a little bit with Walmart, and and we've seen some uh, reports on some of the things they're they're worried about in terms of their ability to take on Amazon head to head is, yep. Walmart is a company that is so focused on efficiency. And so it's kind of like, you know, if all you have a, is a hammer, all you see are nails. And so mm-hmm. I think that their focus on, you know, supply chain and pricing and, and massive assortment, you know, like to your point, kind of trying to go head to head with Amazon, but leverage their stores as a point of differentiation. It's a pretty good strategy, but I just wonder whether they they know how to or they spend enough time on the effectiveness side, you know, the product mm-hmm. Side elevating the experience. I'm not suggesting they turn into a Nordstrom or something like that, but sure, but sure. but Target. You know, if anything, I think has been criticized for not being as good on the efficiency side as Walmart, yes. but they yeah. clearly seem to understand visual merchandising and product yeah. differentiation
0: better. You know, if you look at who's opening stores, you know, you do these these store count checks. Um, you know the the biggest growth in stores is is what in America it's dollar stores, which right. really eats away. It's another eating away more at I think Walmart than Target. I mean it impacts both, oh, but for it, sure, you yeah. know it, it it erodes Walmart's overall share of retail more than, um you know more than so I think they're in a defense. You know if if you and I were putting a matrix together, what do we defend and where where do we grow? Uh, You've you got to defend against that dollar store expansion, which seems, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollar stores. That's not stopping. That's been happening for years. And that comes right, right at the base of the Walmart consumer um, versus the target, I think. You know, so the dynamics are are different. I wish, uh, you know, I think, you know, back to the analysts, right? These are the conversations you would hope are having with the analysts and trying to understand and piece these things together. Um, but they seem to be kind of, you know, trying to figure out piece together the elephant one. One piece at a time and missing some of the, maybe the bigger picture. Let's talk about the bigger picture for a sec. It's kind of the time we have left. Uh, You know, we're all now turning our minds to post the post COVID era. And there's a bunch of things to think about. We've talked already about a bunch of them. You know, there's the, I think about it in the short, medium and long-term in the short term, you know, this summer through to holiday, you've got, you know, more distortions. You don't really have any tourism to speak of. You've got, you know, different places around the world adjusting, not a lot of business travel you know people starting to get back to their lives the medium term things get a little more interesting as people start to say okay the euphoria is kind of ebbing off i think it'll be a fantastic holiday season because it'll be a normal holiday season people will travel i mean I, right. i'm sure american thanksgiving canadian thanksgiving will be much much different than it was last year sure and this return to office so what are the things in your mind if you had to kind of tick a box from a you know if you're if you're sitting with a client, you say, okay, here's are the three or four things we need to understand and keep a close eye on that are more structural. All right. What would those things in your mind be? A couple of things. I mean, certainly there is the, what part of the
1: market do we play in? For example, if you're talking about luxury, like, you know, I used to work at Neiman Marcus. I mean, the, the international tourism business was very important. Hmm. The big occasion business you know weddings after going out you know charity events you know all that kind of stuff drove a lot of business so trying to understand the pace at which some of those things that really drive demand are likely to come back i think when you get more on the discount or not even discount side but you know the more massive market a lot of things around the delivery dynamics you know how much does curbside pickup persist Uh, what's Mm going to happen with home delivery. I just got off a conversation with someone about um, the dynamics of home delivery. And as we've touched on before, it's just way cheaper to get the customer to come to the store to get it as opposed to paying somebody.
0: I am hearing curbside here in Canada. I am hearing curbside ab off a little bit. That's what I'm uh, Mm -hmm. I've
1: been hearing, you know, little, little minor research, uh, just in general, some of the places I, I go, my, my grocery store, Target, some other places, Best Mm -hmm. Buy, been in a few times, just seems way less busy. So, you know, what what does that mean for economics? What does that mean to, you know, are, are is that because customers are happy to come in the store? Mm-hmm. Is it because now they've gotten used to buying online and maybe they'll, okay, well I'll just, you know, ship it home. So so I I, I think the logistics fulfillment side, uh, you know, there's there's so much wrapped up in that in terms of doing it well yeah. uh, and doing it cost effectively. So understanding those, those dynamics in terms of the consumer behavior and how it reflects mm-hmm. on your economics, because, and I know we touched on this before, I don't think you can necessarily project forward uh, based on the adoption of some of these things, because yeah. retailers were being, you know, frankly desperate in some cases just to preserve mm-hmm. the volume, and consumers were so freaked out that they were opting for things because they either couldn't go to the store or they could, yeah. but they didn't want to. Well, now they can go to the store and they start to go like, wow, you know, <laughs> I mean, this isn't, this isn't the target world. This is uh, the, the food world. But I ordered some Thai food the other day and, you know, the item was $10, but it ended up costing me 22 bucks because wow. of the delivery fees, the tip, yeah. the whole thing. And
0: you, you know, start and to I wonder, in, I don't need to do that anymore. So, well, yeah, well, yeah, well you and
1: I, you know, I didn't it. do it out of safety. I did it just because I was very busy. I don't have time to cook or whatever, but uh, you know, you start to look at that over time. And and the cost of doing that, I, I think there there'll just be a different demand kind of kind of equation, and mm-hmm. the retailers um, that you know whether they're paying Uber Eats or <laughs> Shipped or you know those those fees or yeah. costs to do home delivery, I think there's going to be a lot more scrutiny on that going yeah. forward. So that, that will affect. That's how why it plays I
0: thought. Out. That's why I thought they'd be more focused, and we'll we'll see more focused on encouraging curbside because it, at least. You know, it's an expensive way to do store retail, but it, it's a very inexpensive way to do online fulfillment relative to the alternative so I, you know I'm, I don't know i'm I'm surprised a little bit at how quickly that's pulling back both from a I think that this is one of these you know what happens in the short versus medium term because I think consumers will rush back to the stores and then go, "Well this wasn't as fun as much fun as I thought it was, kind of like the workplace, right? right? Uh yeah. geez, that, that two hour commute wasn't fun after all. Why why am I jonesing to get back to the office again? And then they'll go, hey, that curb maybe I'll go back to that curb site. So sort of, it be interesting. Okay, so that's a that's a big one. What other what other key things are you looking at to kind of say these are the you know, these are the indexes. If I index these three or four things that'll give me some sense for, for how things are going to unfold in the next 18 months. I mean, I think work from
1: home and how that plays Mm -hmm. out is huge. We've already touched on that. I guess the other one is really, you know, going out, whether the going out is to eat a restaurant, uh, go to a movie, go to a play. I mean, certainly I think all those things are going to increase dramatically, but do we get back to where we were before? You know, that's a big variable. And, Mm You know, obviously, if you are going to the theater, right, you know, then you're maybe eating
0: at a place down the street. For every action and reaction, right? So all this spending does just the big giant whooshing sound as it comes out of retail and goes back into the service sector.
1: Yeah, I mean, a couple other things, or maybe they're all or one thing is, is how does physical retail evolve? Because, and I know you've touched on this before, and I think it'd be actually great maybe to really get into this in -hmm. detail, but where retail has gone, or stores have gone from basically places for the consumer to go look at stuff, check it out and bring it home. Still got that, right? But you've got the showroom part of it. You've got now all this digital fulfillment. And so to use your example, if we're not doing as much curbside pickup, is that because we're going into the store? And are we going into the store to actually shop, or are we going into the store to do buy online, pick up in store? If there's a lot more buy online, pick up in store, or buy online, return to store, how is our store set up to mm-hmm. do that with a good experience? And so, and, you know, Target is fulfilling all, all, and I'm still trying to figure out how this works because they quote these amazing numbers for curbside pickup, buy online, pick up in store, and fulfilled from store. And when I go to Target, like, I don't see it. What does that look like? Are, are they fulfilling all these e-commerce orders when the store is closed? Because there aren't much people running around the store, from what I can tell, hmm. picking and packing, you know, picking the orders. So and, and you know, what does that need to look like long term if, if if that activity is halved, then you don't necessarily want to totally redo your your store model or reallocate space. So I think trying to figure out operationally and from a capital perspective what kind of investments you need to make. Yeah. to respond to this much more blended shopping world? It's a huge question. And I think it's because it's so expensive and it takes so long and and from an operating model it can be potentially much more complicated. You don't necessarily want to make those big, bold moves if you don't know how some of this stuff is going to settle out. So I think that's a really hard thing yeah. to to plan out at this point. Uh, i was looking i was looking at a study
0: Yeah, it's a bunch of scenarios right i mean i was looking at a study from that was put out by um in conjunction with warden and uh actually a friend of mine Paula courtney and it she always takes the approach and we did work together of what are the experiences in retail that break loyalty so she comes at it from the other side Mm, yeah and and i it was fascinating and we talked about it a bit off mic the list that came out last month uh, you know, there's ten things. What are the top ten things? And I said, show me that list from ten years ago, and what a dramatic difference! Like ten years ago, it was like slow checkout times, uh, long right. lines, uh, can't find a parking spot. You know, all the things you think. This year, the top eight out of the ten were all had to do with the integration of online and physical retail. Yeah, you know, the that store inventory online was wrong. It said you, you know, long lines for the pick. Like it, it that's been in my mind the transformation from customer expectation is they don't expect after all this to see that kind of this isn't the store store, this is the online store kind of nonsense that still happens mm-hmm. every now and then you show up. Yeah, we don't actually have that, 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 that online thing. And this is where I think the watch out, you know, from my perspective, and this is going to be great fodder for our season three, which is be careful of the lessons you learn from the COVID era. And, you know, the fact that consumers gave, I think a fair bit of forgiveness Uh, or wiggle room around things that weren't perfect i think that'll be short-lived yeah and you know the demands to have i think perhaps one of the long lasting implications of covid that was accelerated to you know give our nickel to our friend carbute was that the expectations of these two things they need to be together if you're going to be a remarkable retail step one you know foundationally I need the basics to work and the basics are no longer long checkout lines or fast checkout or whatever. It's, you know, listen, I want the store inventory to be accurate. I want it to be online. I want it all these things to merge together. And that, I think that's, that's a new test of a new litmus test of customer experience and success. Well, all right. Well, we've, we've kind of a, a wide range and great discussion actually. uh, And uh, we'll be talking more about uh, season three Uh, later on maybe next uh, next uh, podcast again we got great interviews coming up uh, to wrap up uh, season two with um, with rob and uh, matt shea from the nrf and uh, so we're looking forward to that we'll get back next week with uh, remarkable or forgettable because that's just a pile of fun too Uh, and but overall that's that's kind of a wrap on on this episode well yeah
1: and if you like what you heard please follow us on apple spotify amazon music or your favorite podcast platform so you can catch up with all our great interviews and insights, and new episodes will show up every week. And please, 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 don't make me beg. Take a minute <laughs> to drop <Beg> us more. <laughs> that elusive five-star rating, and why not tell a friend in the retail industry about how remarkable this podcast is? I'm Steve Dennis, the expanded and completely revised second edition of my best-selling book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption is available at amazon
0: indigo bookshop.org or just about anywhere books are sold and i'm michael leblanc producer and host of the voice of retail podcast And you can learn more about me on linkedin or on me steve have a safe weekend and uh, i will talk to you next week